when Michael W. Smith became a Christian at a young age, uh, global music uh, success soon followed him. Uh, it was amazing. Everybody knew who Michael W. Smith was. Then it all fell apart. And here is how he remembers how it fell apart for him. He says this, it started with a drink, then a few more. Then I smoked my first pot of cannabis. I felt so guilty. But then a month later, I am in the thick of it. I got sucked into this thing and didn't even realize it. I made myself believe that I was okay, but I wasn't. I went from smoking weed to LSD and cocaine. It happened so fast. It's like my compass just disappeared and I entered this other world. Today we are looking at sin. We have already looked at sin in Judges, of course. But God keeps bringing us back. And today we are looking at sin. What is sin? This morning, that's the question we're asking. What is sin? And this evening, we'll look at how should we respond to sin. Now, as I said, we are going through Judges. We have been doing this, actually, for the last nine months or so. It is an account of God's people, as I said last week, as they settle into the land of Canaan. After leaving their slavery in Egypt. But as we have been going through Judges, we've also seen that it's a story of human rebellion against God. In Judges, we see how desperately sinful we are as human beings. Because in Judges, we see that God has done everything for them. Everything. Seldom from Pharaoh's brutality. And yet, as they enter the land of Canaan, what do they do? They do it again. They keep sinning and sinning against God. They keep stabbing him in the back with their sin. Why are people like this? Why are we like this? I mean, why are you like that? The reason is that human beings lack a sufficient firewall against the burning desire of sin inside of us. You see, there is the deep longing within the human heart to always commit sin against God. No matter how good, how much love God lavishes on you, you are always prone to leave God and sin against him. And I think this is why we need to study judges. My wife asked me, why did we start studying judges? I said, sin. It's a sin. We need to hear about sin before we can get a better, we can meet Jesus in Mark. And this is why we need Judges is our story. It is your story. It is my story because all of us are sinners. You are a sinner. We all are. The problem is that you see, sin is just a word to many of us. We don't sense the sinfulness of our sin. Deep down your heart, you believe you're okay. So when I said you are a sinner, something was telling you that I'm actually all right. I'm okay. 
Deep down your heart, when you hear that you're a sinner, you do not weep for the sinful condition as you should. Some of you here think this sermon is for others. You, you think that. You feel you are very spiritually mature. It is Joe over there who doesn't love his wife. It's Mark over there who comes always, misses Bible study. That's, that's what we think. But friends, what is spiritual growth? What is spiritual maturity? Does it not include growing in sensing the sinfulness of our sin? Can you really say you sense more of your sinfulness today and your need to repent and seek solace in God this today than you did this time last year? Friends, if you are not growing in sensing the sinfulness of your sin, you are in a very dangerous position. Because you see, all roads in our work with Jesus begins here. It starts here. Look with me at Judges 10, verse 10. Let's look at that, what he says there. This is our summary verse. And the people of Israel uh, cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the bells. The word sin there, sinned, summarizes what has happened in verse 6 to verse 9. After the death of the seventh judge of Israel, Jer. And there are three truths I just want to draw us for us this morning briefly about what sin is from these verses. The first thing we learn from these verses is that sin offends God. Sin offends God. And as the seventh judge of Israel, Jer, is dead. And any moral influence that Jer and Tola before him had over Israel has now disappeared. Look at verse 6. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We should stop there. We need to take note of one word there that describes the condition of Israel at this time. What word is it? Evil. Evil. Look at that. The people of Israel again did what? Was evil in the sight of the Lord. Israel is committing evil before God. Now, in 2016, the Prime Minister Theresa May said, I am determined that we'll make it our mission to rid our world of this barbaric evil. What was she talking about? Sorry? No? Well, it certainly wasn't pornography or tax havens. Actually, because of that, she was talking about human trafficking. In 2017, Donald Trump said, this is an act of pure evil. What was he on about? Was it lies? Was it gossip? No. It was the Las Vegas shooting. What am I getting at here? What I'm getting at that is that in our society, no one does evil except the worst criminals among us. Terrorists, pedophiles, murderers. That's what the world, that's what society tells us. Whenever you hear the word evil, it will be talking about some worst criminal. But in the Bible, all of us here 
are in the same evil boat. You are evil. I am evil. We are all evil before God. You are evil because God says evil is what Israel is doing. Look at verse 6 again. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What is this evil? They served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. They are turning to these gods, and what they are doing really is, of course, what we call idolatry. But what is idolatry? Idolatry is putting other things first and God second. Yes, you are not worshipping the gods of Moab. But if God is not first in your life, you are practicing idolatry. You are practicing evil. And this is evil because what is evil? Evil is offense against God. This is evil because evil is offending God. When we put other things first, God is offended greatly by it. You are saying you prefer creation to the creator. And the tragic truth is that all of us here this morning are natural born evildoers. You know in your heart this morning that God is not always first in your life. You see, friends, the question is not whether you are a walking blasphemy before God. The question is, does your offense against God grieve your heart? Do you weep for your offense? When you hear that your life is a walking blasphemy before him, does it cause your heart to weep at that? Does it make your heart tremble? Does it tremble your heart to know that your thoughts, your words, your actions are offensive to God? Friends, a true child of God trembles over sin. I would never dream of offending my mother. I wouldn't. She means the world to me. I shudder to think that I would even have a thought that's bad about my mother. I would shudder to think I would even say a word that would offend my mother. My father has passed away. I only have my mother left. I sometimes joke, and I hope my mother doesn't listen to this, I sometimes joke that my, my mother is the only one I can truly be confident I am related to. Because she brought me into this world. And then she told me I had brothers. But I know I love my mother. And I can't even bear a thought that I'll do anything <coughs> offensive to her. What about my God? If I believe God, this great creator, has made me his child in Jesus. If I believe God has entered the human race and he has died on the cross for my sins. My mother's never done that for me. She loves me, but she never laid down her life for my sins. What about my God who has given me a new heart in Christ? How could I bear to even sin against him? How can my sin against him not make me weep if I know who he really is? Friend, the first thing God does when he makes us his children is to send light into our hearts and it reveals the ugliness of our sin. There is a new sense of the sinfulness of our sin. And it is this that causes us to run to Jesus and seek his mercy and flee from sin. So action point number one this morning. 
You can write this down. It's important. Set your heart. Set your heart. Do you tremble over your sin? Do you weep for your sin? Be honest with yourself. Because if you are not broken for sin, it means one or two things. First, either you are not truly converted. And by that we mean you are not truly born of God. The new work hasn't started. Enlightened, yes, but the new work is not there. Or it may mean the second thing. It may be that your heart has become hardened by sin. There's hardening taking place. And this is the second observation about sin we find in this passage. First point, sin offends God. Second point, sin hardens us. If we have a new heart, sin will harden us. Michael W. Smith remembers how he felt at the time as he was plunging into sin. This is what he says. When I finally realized how lost I was, it was too late. I couldn't stop. But even in the middle of all that, I still believed in God. It was weird. I would go to these parties totally hard and end up talking about Jesus to my friends. I knew I didn't belong there. I just couldn't get out of the mess I was in. And the experience of Michael W. Smith is a picture of what is happening to Israel in Judges. They're just getting deeper into sin. Even though they know God delivered them out of the land of Egypt, they're still getting deeper into sin. Look at verse 6 again. We need to read it again. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals, and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Assyria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the god of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. I want you to pause and count for yourself how many idols are listed there. And the number you come up with is seven. Seven in the Bible signifies completeness. The, this, the Bible is not some sort of you know, random thing. This is inspired by the Lord. And God has made it clear that seven idols is pointed out. And the reason he's doing that is to simply say, you have reached the bottom of your sin. Israel has plunged the bottom. This is a perfect idolatry now. So we can use such an uh, 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 oxymoron. It cannot get more rebellious than this. Israel has a hard heart. The same love of God. By the way, when you get to the later verses, you see God himself repeating who he delivered them from. from, from. In later verses, um, I think verse 13, 14 onwards, if you scan those verses, he will list Egypt and the other six nations. And he's making the point that God has showed them deliverance from six, seven nations, yet they've fallen into seven sets of idolatry. Complete deliverance from God has been met by complete idolatry. The point is that the same love of God that once melted their heart has now hardened them. They have become complacent and now drunk with sin. Friends, let us know that what is happening to Israel, the Old Testament church, 
happens to all of us. It is a warning to us who claim to be in God's New Testament church in Jesus. Last year, surgeons in Solihull removed, and Brother Michael, you need to take note of this, and uh, Sister Margaret, they removed 27 contact lenses from the eye of a 67-year-old who had come for a routine cataract surgery. So thank God when you both went there, nothing like that was discovered. But they found out that this woman had had 27 contact lenses which had accumulated over time. She had, you see, she had worn disposable contact lenses for 35 years. And some had become stuck together. Now, she never complained of any irritation. Her vision, of course, was becoming poor. It would, right? Already stacking up. But you know what she thought? She thought it was just old age. And so she never went to, to have it even looked into. And when the surgeon found out, they were shocked. She was shocked. And as I thought about that woman, this 67-year-old woman, I thought, this is a picture of our lives. When you first surrender to Jesus, you become converted. What does that mean? God removes the old stony heart and he gives you a new heart. God gives you a new heart with loving eyes, with new eyes that sees Jesus afresh. You see his love. You see his wonder. You see all that he's done for you. But then, then, you start putting other things first. You start lodging things in your heart. God becomes second more and more. Your heart then begins to harden. It begins to harden. You start moving from one sin to the next. And you know what the devil does? When you sin against, sin against God, the devil comes and whispers. You have already lied to God. So what difference is another lie? And soon you stop weeping for your failure to be alone with God. Once you read the Bible with such fervency, once you attended every prayer meeting, but you're like, well, I missed the prayer meeting. What's the point of coming to the next one? Your heart is getting cold. Once you are the first person to come into church, you are there every morning. But now, it's no big deal. Your heart is hardening. It's hardening. It's hardening. It's hardening. But when you became a Christian, it was all different. Every sermon stirred your heart. But now you forget what was preached about last week. You can barely concentrate in church. Once God was number one, once you had surrendered everything to him, even your wallet, but now excuses abound. Other things have priority. You still attend church and can have a good, I tell you, you can have a good talk about Jesus. You can lecture others about the doctrines of the faith. But it is all second-hand knowledge. It's all second-hand. Your heart has grown cold and you know it. Now, yes, you assure yourself you are saved by grace. But you forget that the grace that saves you does not promote sin. Does not leave you as you are. Jesus died to create new creatures, not dead fishes. Yes, true followers of Jesus 
can become ardent to sin. But we cannot endure it forever. We always turn back to Jesus. Michael W. Smith wept for his sin. He's back. He's there. He's, we love his music. We will enjoy it. He's walking with the Lord with such vibrant fervency. King David sinned. He wept for his sin. Psalm 51. Peter sinned. And God restored him. They were all restored to a vibrant walk with Jesus. But if you are not surrendering, then it means only one thing. It means only one thing. It means perhaps, perhaps, in fact, without any hesitation, if sermon after sermon you are not surrendering, if despite all God's work of the Spirit in your heart, you are not surrendering to Him, then it means you have a stony heart. You are never truly converted in the first place. And here is why this matters. It's, it matters because you need to deal with your situation. Because why? Because sin destroys everyone. And that's our final point. Point number one. Sin offends God. Serious business. If you're a believer, that matters. If you claim to be a believer, that matters. Because why? Because sin hardens us. And why is that important? Because sin destroys everyone. In 2016, Matthew Dawson, the former rugby player, was beaten by a tick in a park in London. It caused a bacteria infection. And this bacteria infection spread throughout his body. In fact, when he was taken to the hospital, he was diagnosed with Lyme disease. Now I've only found out last year what Lyme disease was. But it was serious for him. And here is what he said. He says, it was a really scary time for me and my family. Can you imagine such a tiny creature caused me to need heart surgery? And as I thought about him, I thought, it's sobering that something so small can cost us everything. To many of us, sin is so small. To what Israel is doing, it looks so small to them. They have turned their backs on God. But you see what God does? God says, this is big business. So God says, you know, if you want to be with the idols, be my guest. Look at verse 7 again. Verse 6 actually ends and says, they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. And verse 7 tells us, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sowed them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hands of the Hamonites. The word sought there is telling us that Israel ultimately belongs to God, but now God is giving them up as a person sells things on eBay. He's just saying, look, you know, I'm going to say, by the way, uh, if you want to be sin, fine. God does that sometimes. We resist him so much, he, he just gives us up. Now, if you're truly born again, you come back. But for some people who just continue resisting, it shows they never really belong to God. Look at verse 8 to 9, what it means. Look what happens to them. We need to read this and reflect on these verses. Verse 8 says, and they crushed. That is, the anger of the Lord, verse 7, they've given up the Ammonites, and it says this, and the Ammonites crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. 
So the land of Jair is completely oppressed now. And the Ammonites are not finished. And the Ammonites, verse 9, tell us. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan on the west side to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So that Israel was severely distressed. Sin has completely destroyed Israel. The delusion of sin is that we can control it. But friends, sin, as we saw with Abimelech, is that sin is a dangerous pet. It grows into a monster that in the end swallows us. Proverbs 5, verse 22 to 23. We need to know this by heart. Proverbs 5, 22 to 23 says this. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. What the writer of Proverbs is telling us is that in the end, all the consequences of sin we suffer are usually our fault. Are always our fault in part. But it's more than that. In the end, all consequences of sin we suffer in this life, addictions, broken relationships, death, are what? Just a foretaste of future punishment. Because you see, friends, all of us one day, we will have to stand before God and give an account for our sin. We have to stand before a God who knows us, who knows how deeply we've offended him. He knows us so well, and we're going to recognize him. We're going to recognize that this is our God. There's no doubt about it. And we have to stand before him and give an account for everything we have done. In 2015, we are in Miami, USA, here. Arthur Booth is wearing a orange suit. This man, Arthur Booth, is standing before a judge called Judge Mindy. Why is Arthur there? Arthur is there because he's committed burglary and theft and so forth. And Judge Mindy is looking at Arthur and she's surprised to see him there. And then she immediately asks a surprising question to Arthur. She says, Mr. Booth, I have a question for you. Did you go to Nautilus for middle school? Arthur is shocked. He breaks down in tears. Why is he crying? He realizes that the person in front of him is his former classmate. Shame and sorrow fills his heart. Judge Mindy says to him, I am so sorry to see, here, sir, to see you here, sir. You are such a great kid. Everyone looked up to you. I looked up to you. Judge Mindy is broken for, for her former classmate. She's broken to see someone she knows so well being sentenced in front of her. Arthur is crying because shame and embarrassment fills his heart. But you see, Judge Mindy cannot help her former classmate. She's a judge. She must sentence him. She can only say to him, Sir, you need to change. You need to change your life, sir. You need to change. She keeps saying those words. And she has to punish Arthur. She punishes him. She sentences him. 
I think of that man, Arthur, facing a judge he knows so well. To hear her sentencing, it is not just the punishment that hurt Arthur that day. Arthur broke down because of the shame. Because of the shame. Oh, brothers and sisters, there will be such shame on that day. On that final judgment, there will be so much shame. We'll be crying before God. Why? Because our judge will be this man, Jesus, standing there with pierced eyes in front of us. All those sermons you heard about sin. All those sermons you heard about how your sin offended Jesus. All those sermons you heard about how Jesus left the glories of heaven for you. Morning after morning. Every Sunday. And yet you never truly surrendered to Jesus. In the end you heard the sermons. But you chose to live only for yourself. You chose the invisible handcuffs of sin. That changed your life. You never truly surrendered to Jesus. You rejected your Savior. And embraced judgment. Such shame on that day. Such shame. The good news of Jesus is that you don't have to go out like that. Jesus has come. He has been crushed for your sins on the cross. And he's offering you this morning a new heart. By faith, you must truly repent. And of course, that means perhaps listening to a bit of the sermon this evening. But repent now. Flee the judgment Unseen by surrendering yourself right now to Jesus. Friends, hear the words of Thomas Boston when he says, No one can make themselves better by running away from the Lord. However hard your case may be with God, you can never mend yourself at another hand. God fashioned you. No one else can meet your need. Only He can. So come to him this morning. Surrender to him wholeheartedly. Now I know some of you are trusting in Jesus. And your heart has grown cold. I said to you, come afresh to him today. Surrender. Declare a new war against sin. Come to Jesus afresh. Dedicate yourself to Jesus. Put him first afresh. Ask Jesus to unleash a new fire in your heart that causes your heart to truly weep for sin and longs to see him face to face. He will surely do it if you come to him honestly this morning. You will do that if you truly belong to Jesus. And as we approach the Lord's Supper, if you belong to him, meditate upon this bread and wine. These elements are a visible sermon to draw you closer to Jesus. That's why we have the Lord's table quite regularly in this church. It is there to remind you of all that Jesus has done for you. And I say, if you're trusting in Jesus, and you are not baptized by full mentioned because of course what? Because of course 
You have to be fully baptized to take part in the Lord's table. So maybe you are genuinely surrendered to Jesus, but you're not yet baptized by full immersion. So you cannot take the Lord's Supper, but do not delay, friend. Do not delay. Be baptized now. Why? Because sin hardens us. Delay disobedience is disobedience. Your delay is sinful to God. It's a great offense to him. Set this issue right. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you have truly surrendered to him, make it right by then being fully baptized by a nation. Amen.